0: My guest today is one of the world's best divers. Silver gold medalist Steele Johnson is joining the 4Cs podcast today and Steele is a friend from Ramsey. He's an incredible guy. He's not only one of the world's best divers, he's a silver medalist, but he's such a good man and his story I think is going to resonate with a lot of you. Steele is on his fifth foot surgery and we talk about where he's at mentally right now he's preparing for paris next year for the summer olympics in 2024 but also why he is passionate about a few things from social media to being a metalhead and how he's able to connect with so many around him an incredible podcast over triple jam cider we had a hard cider today it's black's hard cider triple jam strawberry blackberry and raspberry and it was incredible, rich-filled conversation. I think you will love today's podcast. And if you are new to the 4Cs podcast, welcome. I'm your host, Noah Corsten, and I have found that some of the best conversations I've had with people is over cigars, ciders, and coffee. If you're wondering what the fourth C is, my last name is Corston. So it's Corston Ciders Coffee and Cigars. And the goal of this podcast is to help you connect and be better in your community and to help you connect with those in front of you. So without further ado, let's dive in with my interview with Olympic silver medalist Steele Johnson. Uh, cheers. Steele Johnson. Welcome to the Four Seas Podcast. Thank you very much. I'm stoked to be on. Yeah, I'm honored. Like, this is right before you're going to be Mr. Mr. Big Time. Everyone's going to want you on every radio show, every media hit across America, man.
1: Hey, I love doing media. I love doing podcasts, TV, whatever it is. It's all fun for me and just an opportunity to share my stories. So I'm just honored to be here right now, though. That's all I care about right now. <laughs>
0: I love it, man. Well... I, I think I'm excited to have you on for many reasons. First off, honored to have you on because you're not only Olympia. We met at Ramsey, mm-hmm. and I've gotten to know you yeah. over the last year now. And I think there's just so many layers to you that I think can help. Like my heart for this podcast is a lot of Gen Z, millennial men. yeah, Most guys don't know have, to have conversations like this. So right. I think you're going to help a lot of guys out today. So I appreciate it.
1: I mean, I've had a lot of people help me along the way, so if I can just do my part and pay
0: it forward, that's great. Love it, man. Well, I got to start out. You've had five surgeries on your foot. Is it yes, five, right? five, right
1: now? yeah. Not six? No, five. We're five now. And it better not ever be six. I'm done. I, I do not want another surgery <laughs> You're in out, man. time. How's the foot feeling? Like- it's getting there. It's, it's technically healed, so uh, it's a super long story. I'll condense it because it would take up this entire podcast to tell it all, but back in 2015... I was diving, you know, getting ready for the college season. We had big tens coming up soon and I was starting to limp around the pool deck. I was having a little bit of pain in my foot, but I really wasn't too focused on it because I was a stubborn, you know, 18 year old getting ready for championship season. But my coach sent me off to go see the trainer and the doctor just to get it checked out to make sure it wasn't anything super bad. Hmm. I go to the doctor, I get the scans done on my foot. And we learned that I had a stress fracture in my navicular bone, which is a pretty small bone in the midfoot, doesn't get a great blood supply, so it doesn't heal on its own very easily. Uh, But it wasn't bad enough to need surgery right then and there. So uh, I just kept pressing on. I was working with the trainers. I was in and out of walking boots, on and off of crutches, just pain managing as long as I could. And I was able to manage that pain all the way up till 2018, where I started to just have a lot more pain. Every step I took was just really painful. It was getting hard for me to walk. So... After, you know, a few years of battling that pain, icing every day, all that crazy physical therapy, I was like, okay, we've got a couple years to the Olympics. I'm going to get the surgery now. I should be back on the boards in, you know, four to six months. That's what was projected. Four months after that first surgery, I still could barely walk. I couldn't really put any pressure on my foot. I was in an extreme amount of pain. My foot was super swollen. It looked like A balloon compared to my other foot. And uh, I just knew something was wrong, but the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong. You know, we did scans and the hardware was in place. Everything looked fine. Um, But eventually I just got a second surgery because they thought, well, maybe the hardware is just loose because that can happen with surgeries and feet, especially, you know, there's a lot of movement going on. Uh, turns out the hardware wasn't loose. It was actually infected in my foot. My, the bone was infected. And so, uh, that infection led to a third surgery that led to a failed joint fusion because there was just no blood supply, got necrosis in the bone, got a fourth surgery to try to fix it. It didn't work. And ultimately had to get a fifth surgery in May of this year. And that one's worked. So My foot is still in the healing process. It's only been five months since that surgery, so I'm still healing. I'm still recovering, but the joint itself is fused. What they sought out to do with the surgery has worked. Now we're at a point where I'm just trying to manage this pain because I've got five, six pieces of hardware actually in my foot, and it's restricted my motion a lot, but I'm able to do things. I'm able to lift. I'm able to work out, and ultimately, I'm going to be able to dive again, assuming that you know we can just build strength in my calf and in my foot and my ankle so it's it's a long process it's been eight and a half years since that initial diagnosis of a stress fracture i'm so Um, sorry yeah and it's not anything i did which i think gives me a lot of peace in this situation um you know like it was just an overuse injury it happens to any athlete and getting an infection in my foot wasn't my fault i didn't mess up in the recovery it's just one of those things that can happen As a part of surgery Um, and unfortunately it just wasn't healing surgery after surgery not because of me doing something wrong in recovery but because of just my anatomy in my foot and now you know working with a great surgeon here in nashville we were able to get blood flow in there fuse the joint together and so It's just kind of one of those things where things can go wrong with anything in life, especially when it comes to medical stuff and surgery. And unfortunately, I just had things go wrong four times in a row. And so now I'm just dealing with the ramifications of that and all the trauma that comes with that, especially in my foot. But it's not been an easy process. It's not been a fun process. It's been really, really difficult and really hard to get through, but you know i'm here i'm 5 months past my most recent surgery and i'm making progress in the right direction which is something i couldn't say for you know so many years
0: well cheers to the cider man cheers to yeah, getting we, healthy to getting healthy cuz you you've been on a Road to recovery is, uh, it doesn't even do it justice. Like where you're at is, yeah. you've gone through it. Um,
1: yeah. And it's one of those things, too, where like I've got all this hardware in my foot. It's never going to come out of my foot. It's just kind of a part of me now. It restricts my motion. So people will see me walking around and I feel fine. Like I don't feel amazing, like the best I've ever felt, but I feel good. I feel strong, but I still walk with a limp because I've got this hardware restricting that ankle motion. And that's something that could get better or could stay the same. And it's something that's just serving as a constant reminder of what I've been through, even though, you know, I'm technically healed. I'm still dealing with, you know, this limp and a little bit of pain and I'm praying that those things get better. But even if they don't, it's just serving as a reminder of the journey I've been on just to get to this point. And it reminds me of how strong I've been able to be and how many hard things I've been able to go through and I can use that as motivation to go through the next hard thing because hard things are going to come, whether it's injuries, finances, whatever it might be, but you just got to keep going. You got to keep going. You got to keep pushing through. You might have some scars. You might be limping around, but you're still going.
0: How do you maintain that perspective? Especially, I mean, after the third surgery, I would be asking a lot of questions, but here, here you are number five, maintaining that perspective.
1: It's not been all me. You know, I've got a great support system, you know, from... The first surgery in Indiana, I had awesome athletic trainers that I was working with every single day that were not just checking on me and my foot, but they were checking on my mind and my mental health as well. And, um, you know, my wife is just an absolute trooper. Me going through these surgeries hasn't just been me going through it, but it's been my wife going through it as well, where, you know. We live on a top floor apartment ever since we got married. We've always lived on an apartment that doesn't have an elevator and we're on the top floor. So after each surgery, she's had to physically carry me up and down the stairs, carry my knee scooter, my crutches, my bags, whatever it is. We have dogs. She'd be taking dogs out late at night, early in the morning because I physically couldn't. And so she's not only been like a physical rock for me, but also a mental and spiritual one, too, where, you know, there's nights where I'm really struggling to figure out if this pain's ever going to go away and I just can't get out of bed. I don't want to do anything that day and she's just being a solid rock next to me, speaking truth and speaking life over me. So I've got these athletic trainers who are taking care of me. I've got my wife who's taking care of me and then just family as a whole helping out wherever we've needed help and then just supporters online too like the people that follow my journey. You know, this is a terrible thing to go through. All these injuries, all these surgeries, but I'm not the only one going through this. I'm not going to minimize the pain I've gone through, but I'm also not going to sit and sulk and feel like I'm the only one who's had to deal with something this hard because I've gotten messages and messages of people who are going through their own injuries or their own struggles and they're seeing my posts and they're like, man, that's really helping me know that I'm going to heal six months from now, a year from now from this injury or I'm on my third surgery and it's not getting better, but I know that I can keep going because I see you're going through it and that you're not alone, I'm not alone. And so it's not been easy. It's been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, but it just goes to show that there is so much value in having people around you consistently who don't care about you for your status or whatever you can do or provide for them, but they just care about you because you're a person, they love you, and you do the same for them.
0: Mm, That's good, man. I think there's, with your journey...
1: There's there's so many routes
0: that we're gonna go in today's conversation, but whenever I talk to you, I always have a different perspective, even just with social media, mm-hmm. just because I think you know how to curate cur- curate yeah. positivity. I can't talk, but curate positivity, yeah. and that's that's good to hear. Um, and the the other note too is like Hillary is no. No, like she's a unit, like she's a
1: bodybuilder. She's in great shape. Mm -hmm. She probably could carry you. She can out squat me. She can out bench me. She can outlift me like any day in the gym. (laughs) She is one of the strongest people I know. And it's a lot of motivation for me, especially when I was going through the surgeries. I did not want to get out of bed. I was not sleeping at all. I was not eating because I just felt sick from all the pain medicine and how much pain I was in with my foot. Even though she was spending all that time taking care of me and taking care of our dogs and making sure that I have everything I need physically and mentally, she was still in the gym absolutely crushing her goals. And that gave me the motivation to know like I'm going through something hard, but this isn't just me going through something hard. She's going through something just as hard. Sure, it's not physically her foot that's going through it, but she's carrying all this emotional stress from me, all my physical stress, all my spiritual stress, and she's having to just shoulder that and she's still out there crushing it. I need to be out there crushing it too. I need to keep going. I need to keep persevering. And so, you know, I was struggling to get out of bed, but she would really give me that motivation without even saying anything to get to the gym, to make sure I'm keeping a healthy lifestyle the best I can, given the circumstances I was in.
0: Yeah. I mean, you guys are a power couple in so many ways, man. And yeah, she's, she's the best. Yeah. It's awesome, man. Well, I was going to save this more towards the end, but like, how did, how
1: did the two of you meet? Yeah. So we met through her younger sister, technically. Um, so her younger sister and I both went to Purdue we were the same year in school. We met the first week of school um, just at church, the local campus house church on campus. And uh, we were just kind of in the same friend group. Um, and it was just kind of one of those things. We knew each other, me and her younger sister. Um, but I never really like met Hillary, my wife, until our sophomore year. So I found out about Hillary specifically through an Instagram post that her younger sister Lacey made Um, on her birthday, just a picture of the two of them. And I went full, like deep dive into her Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, it was just like, oh man, this girl is absolutely beautiful. Like I probably won't ever meet her. There's no reason for me to meet her. She at the time was living in Colorado and yeah. Oh, it's a great state. Um, but I was persistent. And so I followed her, um, and I reached out to her. I messaged her on Twitter and she sent me a really nice message in response. And at the end of it, it said, have a nice fall. Oh, man. And so it was like early September. So I was like, note taken. She's not interested. I'll back off. Who
0: says no to an Olympian? And this time you were an Olympian. right? No, I wasn't. So oh, really? it was this my was sophomore year
1: of, of college. And so okay. it was my gap year, well, Olympic waiver year. Okay. And so so close. Was yeah. That I was time. probably a little less than a year out at that point. And then winter rolls around. And so we've still never met, but I sent her another message of like a book recommendation based off something she had posted on Twitter. And uh, this time the conversation kept going. And so we were just chatting back and forth for about a week. And then the conversation just kind of naturally died down. And I think that week or later that week, it was finals week coming up. Her younger sister and I always used to run into each other at the local Starbucks on campus. Uh, It was right next to the pool. So I'd go on my practice breaks and, Uh, In walks Lacey and standing with her is Hillary and they come up and say hi. And it was just like this surreal moment of someone like, oh, man, I've seen you online for a year now and we've talked a little bit, but we've never met. Now we're meeting. Um, And that was that We met and it was nice and they got their coffee and she went off to help her sister study. And I messaged her later that night and I was like, hey, it was really nice to meet you. If you're ever back in town, let's grab coffee. And she just responded with, cool, I'll come back next weekend. (laughs) And so that just started us kind of getting to know each other on the weekends. We'd have a coffee date and then that was right when the World Series with diving the Olympic year in 2016 was starting. So we had our first date. We were just getting to know each other and then I went off to Brazil for a month. And then I came back and I went to Illinois. We had another date and then I went off to, I think, Beijing and then Dubai. Came back. Had another date. Went off to Canada and Russia. Came back. So it was like, We would have a date and then we'd text like throughout the week while I'm overseas, but it would be like, I'm in Dubai, so time zones are super crazy. We'd have like 30 minutes to talk and then that would be the end of the conversation. But we officially started like dating, dating in April of 2016. So right before Olympic trials. And then she came to the Olympics with my family, got to see me win the medal, all that exciting stuff and we got married a year
0: later. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Now, I've always wondered, like, for for Olympians and, and just professional athletes in general, um, just with the few athletes that I've worked with and, you know, just seen up close, the good ones really work on it, really work on their marriage. And, the, you know, the ones that their marriages don't work out, you know, you don't always see the – I think they put in the work, but they, they didn't put in the work that they thought they needed. How do you balance being an Olympian and being a husband?
1: I think it's kind of like balancing, you know, being a husband and being a salesperson or whatever your career is. It's just my career isn't me going into an office all day. It's okay. I'm doing this work here, working out here. It just, it takes a lot of communication and I'm not perfect at it. Like throughout, we've been married over six years now, like I have learned to grow in communication. I have grown a lot as a person, uh, a lot as a husband, but yeah, it just, it takes work. You have to know where your priorities are and you have to not waver in those priorities because when you do lose focus on what your priority should be, which is your wife and your family, yeah. that's where miscommunications come in that's where you're not seeing each other enough and you feel disconnected and not on the same page and so there will be times you know when I'm gone at a competition for a couple weeks that I just have to be extremely intentional about calling her FaceTiming her texting her but not just texting throughout the day like we need to have intentional conversation because I feel like an intentional intentional conversation goes a lot deeper than a you know day long of texting back and forth that's just kind of like, oh, I'm doing this now. I'm doing this now. And I'm guilty of that. Like I can text back and forth all day and not have an intentional conversation. So it's a good reminder for me, you know, over the years of, even if we're on opposite sides of the planet, like you still got to carve out that time for the thing that's your priority, which is time with my wife and making sure she's taken care of, even if I'm on the road.
0: Wow, let's go, man. I, that's a good response, and
1: I'm not perfect at it. I've, there have been times where I've been terrible at it, but you know, <laughs> you learn and you grow, and there's forgiveness, and yeah. that's what marriage is all about. It's yeah. two people growing together for the rest of their life.
0: It's awesome, man. That's good. Now, I, this isn't in the notes, and I could take this out if you want me to, but I want to ask you, like, being an Olympian, especially your role. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're for a living.
1: Your shirts off half the time.
0: <laughs> So you have to get some interesting messages at times.
1: I don't really ever check my messages. I'll probably check my DMs once a month because there are good messages in there from people who are going through injuries, right. um, who are yeah. And so like, I hate going through my DMs because ninety five percent of it is just trash. It's super inappropriate messages that people send. They think they're anonymous sending all their thoughts to someone. Cause you know my sport, I'm in a speedo. Right. It's like, it's just the nature of it. But I will check my messages once a month and I, you can get a little blurb at the front of the message to s- kind of see what they're starting out by saying before it goes into the full message. Wow. So I'll skim through those. Um, but I really just try to focus on the ones of young divers, young athletes that have questions or even adult athletes that are you know, going through an injury or trying to get back into the sport after 10 years away, whatever it might be. Like, yeah. I just want to be a good voice for the next generation or past generation of athletes that are still trying to do what they're doing and just need a little bit of encouragement and motivation. But I, I check them like once a month. I just, it's it's hard to go through them sometimes. Yeah. It's gotta be
0: a cesspool at times, but yeah. like, I mean, how, how have you managed to to balance that like that's, I'm sure that's taken I'm sure in some ways so easy but being an Olympian the top of your sport you're top in the world in so many areas that's got to be hard at times I'm sure there's probably like just people throwing themselves at you all the time
1: no it's it's more people just throwing their opinions at you of like you know why didn't you win this meet why did you do the dive this way or oh you're out of shape. Now that's a thing, like, especially in the sport of diving, people see your whole body. Like, and so if, you know, your body ebbs and flows, look at bodybuilders, they have bulks and they have cuts and they yeah. go through this ebb and flow. All athletes are the same. You can't maintain this ideal physique hundred percent of the time in any sport. Cause if you do that's super unhealthy for your body. And so it's just a lot of people, you know, especially when I was younger, just making comments on your body. But from a young age, because I've been on social media so long, you know, sometimes it still would get to me, but I learned how to handle those a lot better uh, from a young age and focus more on the positive comments, because it is that thing of like, for every 99 positive comments, there's always one negative response. And You just got to learn to not take that stuff personally because what i've learned is people won't say that stuff to your face in person it's like everyone feels so powerful and secure when they can hide behind a screen but yeah people don't want to be confrontational in person like especially the people that are commenting about your body online or are commenting about whatever it might be or saying oh you should have won gold instead of silver why'd you get fourth instead of third like it's like I'm just enjoying my sport and learning how to not take every comment everyone says so personally. Because life's too short to focus on people that just don't care about you. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's a good word, man. So for you, I mean, you could have chosen any sport. Why? Why diving?
1: My parents signed me up for lessons when I was a kid, and so I'd go to the neighborhood pool every every summer and just dive off the diving board. I wouldn't really swim with my friends. I would just go to the board. Dive, do flips. And over the years, I would teach myself new flips, and my parents were getting nervous that I would like hit the board or get injured, whatever it might be. So they signed me up for lessons, and I ended up liking it. And they were thinking, like, oh, he'll have a sport to do in high school. Because my brother played lacrosse and football. He was all those team sports, but I didn't mesh well with those team sports very much. And so I just stuck with diving. I was good at it. We lived in the right place and uh, got seen by the right people and joined the national team at the age of 10. So it was like, It all happened pretty quick, but yeah, it was just, I didn't really choose to start diving. My parents asked me if I wanted to do lessons and I said, yeah.
0: Wow. Throw the humbleness aside. (laughs) What did you know? What did you know that, you know what, I'm going to be an Olympian one day?
1: I didn't know, no, until before the last dive at Olympic trials in synchro where me and my synchro partner, David Vidaio, we could have failed that dive and still made the Olympic team. That whole time... You know, I knew I had a shot, but in the sport of diving, anything can happen on any given day. And an example I like to give, I think it was the 2004 Olympics where Greece won the men's three meter synchronized gold medal. They, I don't think had ever medaled in that event ever internationally, but the top contenders failed to dive. A bunch of people messed up their dives. One diver hit the board in the last round. And that just opened the door for Greece. No one would have thought they would have won gold. And there they were standing on the top of the podium in their home country at the Olympics. And so it was one of those things where people were saying, like, you've got this in the bag. You've got, you know, you're diving with the Olympic champion. You're going to make the Olympic team. Don't worry. And I was like, one day one day at a time, one dive at a time. Like, I can't think about this result or else I might... Fail a dive. I might hit the tower. I might mess up and the next team behind us will pass us. It's like you really have to focus one dive at a time in Olympic trials because anything can happen and it's anyone's game on anyone's day. And so it was when I was standing on the platform getting ready for that final dive. You know, I hear the crowd just going crazy because we had made the Olympic team at that point. We didn't have to do the dive, but I still refuse to look up at the scoreboard. And you can see in the video, I'm looking down. <laughs> I'm like, I know I've made the Olympic team now but I still wanna do this dive the best I can and really earn it. And then we went out and did a great last dive. And then it was when I hit the water, that's where I was like, ah, okay, 12 years of work, this dream is now a reality. Wow.
0: What was that moment like
1: for you? It was exciting. It was a big rush of emotion and you can go back and watch the videos, like I'm weeping, I'm yeah, crying. It was in my home pool that I qualified, yeah. the pool I grew up diving in, and IPUI and I got my name on the wall of names that I would stare at every day. And In front of my home crowd, all my friends and family were there. Um, But I think that moment of me making the team, obviously I was excited, but it wasn't so much the emotions of being so excited. It was a big wave of relief because I had a lot of pressure on me because growing up, I was the kid that was going to go to the Olympics. That's how everyone would introduce me to everyone. It's like, oh, this is steel. He dives. He's going to go to the Olympics someday. And like, it doesn't sound like a bad comment. It sounds exciting, but it sets this expectation that if I don't do this, I've failed and I'm a failure. And so that pressure was just looming over me. And the second I qualified, it was a relief of that pressure, but it was also like a, a moment of, Lord, I've made this my whole focus, like, and this is exciting, but this is just for a moment. This isn't what it's going to be about the rest of my life. So I'm going to enjoy this moment, but God, I need my focus to still be on you because today I'm an Olympian. You know, four years from now, I might not make the team. 20 years from now, I might be out of shape, and I can't hold on to this one moment as my identity for the rest of my life. I need my identity to be focused on Jesus. Enjoy these experiences as they come, praise him in the moment, but understand that this is just something I do. It's not who I am. And so a lot of that emotion was the relief, the feeling of like, man, Lord, have I just been missing it this whole time and just recentering myself, refocusing myself. And then just, you know, running up and seeing my brother was the first person I got to hug. He jumped over the barricade. And it's, it's just cool to like have that moment where everyone who's been cheering you on gets to celebrate with you.
0: Hmm. Wow A glimpse of what's to come too Because I mean so much pressure is on you I feel like constantly You know yeah. from a young age mm-hmm. And now I feel like it's that burden of like Oh I gotta get gold now You know what I mean Yeah
1: that was the thing too Immediately After winning silver, like my goal was to get to the Olympics. I didn't ever think like I will win a medal. It's like if I win a medal, that's awesome, but that's not my focus. My focus was to get there because going into the platform synchro event, we had just gotten fourth place at the World Cup beforehand, and so we were technically ranked fourth in the world. So technically, we weren't medal spot. So I was just like, I'm gonna dive the best I can and let the results fall where they lie. And We ended up getting silver, which is great. And I was super stoked crying at the Olympics again because I was just so thankful and joyful and excited and was like, Lord, thank you for this awesome moment. Like, I'm just so thankful to be here and be able to do what I do. And I feel like I had a good perspective on where my identity was at the time as well, just not focused on the, the awards or accolades, but on Jesus. And then you get home and everyone's like, oh, you got second place, you know? And I even made the jokes of like, oh yeah, second, first loser at the Olympics, you know? And so it's like one of those things where you can be excited in the moment and then the years go by and you're like, ah, gold would have been great. And then you get to the next Olympics and everyone's like, you need to make it so you can go back and win gold next time. And I'm like, that's not what it's about. It's about just enjoying the experience and just doing what God's given me an ability to do and to love people well in the process. And so that's definitely something I've wrestled with though of like, you know, we weren't even close to gold. My goal wasn't necessarily gold, it was just to dive the best I could, which I think I did. And we got silver, which is amazing and like something I will be thankful for for the rest of my life. But I've had to check myself leading into other competitions of like don't let this result that's coming up be your new identity. Cuz it's easy to be like, well, I was the first loser, or then when you win, it's like I'm the best, and then another meet comes and you don't win, and then it's like What happened? I was the best. Now I'm not. Who am I? So sports can be very fickle in the way of seeing yourself as something you're truly not. Because you can be the best in the world that day. A year later, it's exciting, but it really doesn't matter. Because it's not something you take to your grave with you. You can't take your medals with you after this life. And so I just want my kids in the future and grandkids to enjoy the awards and I'll enjoy looking at them while they're here. But man, my identity has got to be just so rooted in Jesus so that when other competitions come and I either win or get dead last, it doesn't change who I am.
0: Mm. Where did that foundation for you really show for you as a believer being on as big of a stage as you are um I know you, like you, your background you have a Christian background, like yeah. you grew up in a good Christian home, mm-hmm. but being on that stage is like I feel like in a lot of ways your your faith's being tested in so many areas from think, worldly pleasure just you name it, you know what yeah
1: I mean? well not not so much worldly pleasure for an NCAA athlete at the time it's like I won a medal, but I couldn't take the prize money because I was an NCAA (laughs) athlete. So it's like, I'm just here for the excitement of the games. No NIL. I know. We didn't didn't have have NIL NIL. back then. And I'm glad they have it now. Those kids deserve all the money that they can make as a collegiate athlete. But yeah, I had just a great mentor, uh, David Badiah and my coach, Adam Soldati. Um, You know, I grew up in a Christian home, grew up in church, but I really didn't find my faith until my freshman year of college. Um, and that was just with the help of conversations with David, because he was, you know, someone that found his faith in college as well through our coach, Adam Soldati. And so I just had these two great mentors that I was around all day, every day. I was at the pool, I was getting coffee with David, you know, asking questions. And I had this open environment to ask questions and, you know, not feel stupid for asking Questions that might seem simple because they were just very patient with me, you know, being an 18 year old kid. And so having them mentor me through this entire process was very helpful because it's not like someone mentoring me and then sending me off like they were by my side at these competitions. So it was really easy for me to keep that perspective and keep that focus when I was at these competitions, especially when in the Olympic medal, because I wasn't doing those interviews alone. I had my mentor literally right next to me. And so. I just had that confidence in like, if I didn't know an answer to a question someone threw at me, I could just pass it to David because he was so well-versed and just so wise. And it was just, it was a really healthy environment training at Purdue. Um, yeah. And just, you know, I feel like it's definitely God-ordained to have relationships like that going through such a big event that people can... Easily turn into this ego trip of like look at me look how awesome I am I just won this big thing it's like that would be so easy for me to do if I was by myself and didn't know Jesus because like I don't know anything else but because I had that foundation built and I had my mentors right by my side like it was just really easy and natural for me to want to give God that glory because I understood my perspective and I understood my identity
0: mm. so good man for I've heard nothing but incredible things from from David. I've, I've you know, and it's funny. Whenever I hear his last name, I've heard people butcher
1: his name. Oh, they butcher it even at the Olympics. They so, what's the it. proper?
0: What's the, this is the the public declaration? How do you
1: pro- properly pronounce David's now name? Now I feel like I'm on on the spot. I don't know. I I'm pretty sure it's Badiah. Badiah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I
0: figure it's Badiah, but I've heard people say Badia. They say Badia.
1: They say Bootia. They say uh, everything. But it's like with my first name when I go compete. In Mexico or in Spanish speaking countries, they always say Steely.
0: So Steely? Yeah, yeah, they
1: just like Steely Johnson. And I'm like, awesome. you know what? I love it. It's fun. <laughs> i sure you're used to it. But I've just,
0: I remember when you guys were in Rio, like just hearing the faith journeys of, of both of you, but really I was hearing a lot of David's faith journey. Mm-hmm. And that must have been so fun learning from a guy like that. Like, what, was there any moments or stories for you that, because clearly he came alongside and really mentored you in so many areas. Like what was a moment for you that really stood out for you and your faith? Because I'm seeing the fruit of it. I see how you impact other athletes and and leaders. Like, Yeah. I think out-
1: One of the big examples I like to give was a moment where it really first like clicked in my brain for me. Uh, so in 2014, I went to my first world cup and I was diving synchro with David. This is my first time on the senior international world level circuit. Uh, just turned 18. And earlier that year, I really had just started following Jesus and reading scripture and trying to figure out, okay, you know, who is God and what does my relationship with God look like? And we were standing on the back of the platform in Shanghai, China. This pool is beautiful. It was shaped like a crescent moon. It was outdoor, And we were diving at night. So it was dark out. We had big spotlights on the pool. And behind the pool, there are these basketball courts. You know, we're 30 feet up in the air. And there's these dudes playing basketball. And we were in a position. I knew we could win a medal if I did this dive well. This was my hardest dive. I was terrible at this dive. I had just learned it. I had never really done it well. David could tell I was nervous. And he's a seasoned vet. And he also, you know, has a good perspective on these competitions. But for me... This was my first time on the big stage. I didn't want to mess it up. And so he could tell I was nervous and he just looks at me and he's like, hey, still look down at those guys playing basketball. Just dudes playing basketball late at night in China while I'm up here on the platform thinking this is the biggest moment of my life. And he's like, you see them? No matter how this dive goes, they're not going to care what our result is. So just go do the dive and don't worry about how it's going to end up. And that was a moment for me where it clicked of like, This seems like the biggest moment in my entire life, but it's going to be here and it's going to be done. And the result will be exciting or disappointing for a moment. And then we're on to the next competition. And that was just like a big relief moment for me of like, there's going to be more opportunities to do this. And even if this goes the best it's ever gone, people I don't know and that don't know me aren't going to care. It's not going to affect their life. And so I can't let this impact who I am and my identity. We ended up doing a great dive and getting the bronze medal, which is really exciting. But I had that good perspective of I'm not walking around like I'm a world bronze medalist. I was like, "Man, that was really exciting. Okay, time to get ready for the next competition."
0: Wow. What's your perspective going into Paris now? And you're you're more of the seasoned vet now. You're the leader. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's weird like I'm the old guy now. I'm 27, which I went to the Olympics when I was 20, so that's Crazy that that was so long ago, but my perspective has totally changed. You know, growing up, leading up to the 2016 Olympics, my goal was to get there. And now, you know, I've been there. I've done that. I want to go back. I want to do it again. I want to be the best athlete I can be. But I've been through so much to get here. I've been through five surgeries. I've had conversations where we're not sure if I'm ever going to walk right again or if I'm ever going to be able to jump again. So the fact that I'm walking, I'm building strength, I'm jumping – It's not so much about I need to get on the Olympic podium. It's more of I've been through such a wild journey just to get back to this point. I'm going to enjoy every moment the best I can while I'm still able to do this and just try to love people well along the way. And that means if I win big meets, great. Be excited. Praise God. Love people. If I get dead last, so what? Love people well. Cheer people on and realize that that placing doesn't change who I am. The fact that I'm standing is a miracle. The fact that I'm able to jump is a miracle. So the fact that I'll ever be able to compete again, if you would ask me, you know, a year ago, I would have said, I don't think I will ever be able to do that again because of how much pain I was in and how wrong things were going in every recovery process. But it is a totally different perspective now because, you know, I've experienced it it was an awesome experience and now my goals have changed to yeah i want to do that but i just want to get back on the boards first and just take it one dive at a time
0: yeah especially being through all the surgeries yeah. what is what is training like right now i'm sure you get asked this a lot
1: yeah so it's kind of been a mixed bag because i just got cleared to start doing jumping and running and things like that. So for the first five months after surgery, it was just hitting the weight room. And then, you know, a couple months ago, I started swimming and biking to get cardiovascular work in. So it's kind of a big mixed bag of lifting five days a week. That's the non-negotiable. Doing stretching because mobility and flexibility is important for diving, but adding cardio in to make sure I'm in shape for when I get back on the boards and jump. And so I just started diving again a couple weeks ago. And so now I'm just starting to ramp that up slowly. I'm not in any rush. It's like, yeah, Paris is less than a year away, but I personally am in no rush. I'm going to take it one dive at a time and I'm going to get my competition dives back when I get them back, but I'm going to trust the process. But you know, I've been through this before. After my second surgery, I competed four months after that surgery and made the world championship team. So a lot of the diving specific stuff is like riding a bike yeah i'm gonna need to get back up there get some repetitions off just get the feel back but once you have the feel back it's pretty quick to fine tune the stuff so i'm just kind of trusting that my body's gonna know what to do and i'm just taking as good of care of it as i possibly can right now making sure i'm working out drinking water eating healthy on my feet so my foot gets used to the pressure and you know all the reps
0: yeah And newsflash, he he still looks good. So (laughs) when he's rocking the Speedo, he's he's still
1: looking good. I've definitely, I think I'm over 190 pounds now and I'm six foot one. Most divers are short and whatnot, but I'm a taller diver. And at the Olympics, I was 20 at the time. I think I was like 170. So I'm like heavier, but it's muscle heavy because I've been really working hard Because I'm not just focused on being super slender all the time. It's like, no, I want to... Because I've gone through these surgeries, I want to be powerful. I want to feel strong. I want to feel like I can push the board or jump high. And so I've just been working really hard on kind of putting on muscle mass. And I'm sure once competitions come, I'll try to cut back a little bit on, you know, water weight or whatever. I don't really know. We'll get to that bridge when I need to cross it. But yeah, I feel the rest of my body just has felt so good. I feel so healthy. And a lot of that comes from my wife. She writes all my workouts um, because that's just what she's done in the past. And she's my inspiration in the gym. And so when I see her crushing her workouts, I'm like, man, she wrote this. I need to do this really well, or else I'm going to hear about it. So yeah, she's been helping me, you know, really get strong in the ways I need to get strong to perform well. And I'm feeling good. So I'm really looking forward to the the future. future.
0: It's awesome, man. Are the Chinese ever intimidated by you by walking by because you're a lot
1: taller? No, no, they're so fun. Like they're just so goofy and so fun to hang out with on pool deck. That's the cool thing about like, you know, winning a silver medal at the Olympics right behind the Chinese divers is they're my friends. Like I, it's not this relationship of like, you see gold and silver like portrayed in the Olympics as like, they hate each other. It's like, (laughs) no, I was like so excited for Chennai Sen and Lin Yue because they are just such amazing athletes. I grew up competing alongside Chennai Sen since we were little kids at our first Junior Worlds in 2010. And so like being able to grow up alongside them, see them every year and compete against them. And Lin Yue won gold in 2008. So he was like a diving idol of mine. I was like, oh man, he's amazing. So to be able to stand on the podium next to them, was an honor because they're so amazing and they're just really fun guys.
0: I mean, they're the Chinese are some of the best divers in the world, mm-hmm. and I, I know you've talked about that just with it, publicly and privately. Yeah, China is very good at diving. What What's it like to to compete on a world level with some of these athletes? Because I, I think oftentimes people are like, oh, you know, like you know, we, we're trying to go after them. Mm-hmm. And in another sport that I've heard very different is the Winter Olympics, like that skiing and snowboarding culture. Yeah. It's very similar. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, we're all friends, we're trying to compete against one another. Yeah. But there's like this friendship culture. Like what why do you think it is like that?
1: Well, there's definitely people that are like, You're my competitor. Like there are there are some super intense divers, but you know, at the end of the day, we're all good friends and i think it's just because we've spent so much time traveling together training on pool deck together competing against each other since we were young first time you get to the world stage it can be intimidating because you'll see some of the veterans that have won olympic medals and you've looked up to them for a long time then you do that one competition against them and you maybe beat some of them and you end up on the podium and they don't and you recognize like oh i'm not just the young kid that doesn't belong like i belong here like i'm one of their peers, competitors, and you build those friendships over time, just with time spent.
0: It's awesome, man. Well, among many reasons why I brought you on here, not just not just for who you are as an Olympian, but I think there's many many talents to you overall. Like from from being a friend. I think being a friend is not always an easy thing nowadays to, you know, to run in social media. But I think a fun passion of yours
1: is you're a metalhead. Oh, yeah. I love metal. Music.
0: <laughs> where, where does that stem from?
1: So I grew up, you know, my dad loved uh, Elton John. And so we listened to a lot of Elton John in the car. And my mom listened to a lot of jazz. We grew up like Michael Blay, Frank Sinatra, all that stuff. So I grew up loving those Types of music which are not metal at all, but as time progressed, you know, my brother was really into Fallout Boy when we were young, so I was really into Fallout Boy when we were young. This was like 2005, 2006, you know, like the golden era of punk. And so, you, yeah, yeah, and so you just kind of over time you find one band that you like, and I ended up being a huge fan of We the Kings, which uh, Charles Trippi was their bass player. I think he still is their bass player, but he used to daily vlog back in like 2011, 2012. I used to watch those. And so I went to Warp Tour. I got to meet him, got to meet the band. And they were playing a stage right next to like the metal stage at Warp Tour. I think this was maybe back in like 2012 or 2013. I can't remember the exact year. But I remember I was waiting, kind of going back and forth between the stages because there were different bands I liked like yellow card was over here. And then we, the Kings was going to be over here. One of the stages had a band called uh, Memphis Mayfire and they're metalcore, And I was just in the pit, like waiting for the next band to come on and they come out, play their set. And I was like, this is the most fun thing I've ever seen. I think I was waiting to see we, the Kings on one stage and sleeping with sirens on that stage. And so sleeping with sirens is like post hardcore. They're kind of metal and they're kind of just punk rock. And, um, I just loved it. I loved all their music, seeing them walk out to the song without walls, which is their album opener from the challenger album. And yeah. it was just an experience. I was crowd surfing. There's footage <laughs> of it on YouTube. Like i vlogged the whole awesome, thing. And awesome. after that I went home and I listened to their music. Cause I didn't know what they were saying and stuff like at the show. And I was reading the lyrics and I was like, man, this stuff's like really good. I'm only what 16 at the time, but I was like, I really like the way this sounds and these lyrics are deeper than, you know, pop and, you know, the punk rock emo stuff I was listening to with Fall Out Boy. And it just kind of led me down this path of finding new bands, finding new artists. And it all stemmed from just that Memphis Mayfire concert. And now I'm like a metal junkie. Anytime there's a metal show rolling through town and there's a ton in Nashville because a lot of those bands live here, like Memphis Mayfire, those guys I think live in Spring Hill. And so it's it's kind of this weird full circle moment. But I love metal just, you know, There's a lot of depth to the music. It's so similar to jazz. It's kind of just like jazz with distortion in a lot of ways. And so I think that's why I love it deep down is it's very technical, but then there's just these heavy moments where you want to run through a brick wall and there's these really great lyrics. And I just, I love the whole environment of it. And metal concert goers have been some of the nicest, most kind concert goers I have ever come across. It's, it's awesome.
0: That's so funny because you think metal, you're like, yeah, hard. Like, yeah, you
1: know. I've been to metal concerts and I've been to non metal concerts, just like pop shows. And I will say metal concerts, people look out for each other. Pop shows. I don't know. It's a different <laughs> crowd. Like, different vibe. yeah. And maybe I just had bad experiences, but like, yeah, just being at like a silent planet concert everyone just is, I don't know. We're just kind of all on the same wavelength and love the music and yeah. just love that community. So it's, it's really cool. That's awesome, man.
0: I was, I remember
1: when we were, when you were at Ramsey
0: and you're like, yeah, I'm a metal guy. I was like, what?
1: <laughs> it throws everyone off. No one ever notices it. And I'm like, I don't get why no one gets it now. Cause you know, I've got like tattoos and, but I don't know. Everyone looks at me like, "What would you think I listened to if you looked at me,
0: dude?" Honestly, it, it, I'd be like, this, "This dude's a Drake boy." Like yeah. <laughs> and like, I,
1: I, I think Drake's last good album was More Life, but that's just my opinion. Hey, that's a hot take. Yeah, I don't like, but that's back when I would listen to more of that. That's kind of when I was like metal and rap and pop still, and now I'm just kind of like morphed into. I just want all this metal music. So, what do
0: you listen to before
1: you dive? Um. So. Back at the Olympics, I, it's funny, I listened to the song Destruction by Fit for a King on repeat during that synchro event where we won the medal. That song at the time just got me so hyped up. It is so heavy. It is a brutally heavy song, and it just kept my blood going. I was like, I need to have as much energy and adrenaline as possible. I'm
0: putting that cue the next time I see you at the gym.
1: Oh, yeah, dude. It's its a good one. And it's sad, too, because I've never seen, I've seen Fit for a King play a lot. I saw them play here a couple weeks ago, wow. and I still have never seen them play Destruction because it's not like one of their more popular songs. Because yeah. they've got a really a lot of really good songs, but <laughs> that song on repeat. But now when I listen, when I'm at competitions, I'm listening to a mix of like Silent Planet, Fit for a King, Still, devil Wars Prada, Catch Your Breath. Uh, you know, dude, there's so many good, good ones. Yeah, and bands like Throne that are so heavy. So, like, if I've got a hard dive that I'd normally struggle to make in practice, I'm throwing on, like, fast forward by throwing it. just get going. Get him
0: going. Yeah. I love it. The only time I – I mean, this is my confession to you. Am I a metalhead? No. But I will say I'm starting to get into it more being at the gym because I'm, like, those days where you're, like, ah. Man, I don't know. Need a little pre workout and some metal. Do you listen to it in your
1: headphones or over their speakers? Because our gym, we go to the That's same true. gym. We go to the same gym. They play butt rock, and it drives me insane, dude. Like, I can get down with some Hinder and some Creed, but like, when I'm lifting, dude, I do not want Lips of an Angel by Hinder playing. I don't want it. It's just not a good lifting song. Just bring your silver medal next time. Be like, nah. I can, I'll let me run the ox. Oh, they won't care. C Bum's been to our gym. <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah you, you know you're a nashville lens so yeah oh my gosh yeah dude if i was in charge of the ox it'd be way different but it's probably a good thing because people might leave if not I was in a
0: chance i think people would love it people you probably see people pr with their oh people would PR for sure
1: i hit a pr this morning to sell her door by spirit box so i'm like let's go yeah mm-hmm well
0: man um there's so many layers to you that I think you're going to be... I mean, we were talking before, you were on the mic. You're going to be doing all these media hits at some point. Be like, steal, steal. So I feel honored. Like, small little guy out here in Nashville. I love it. Dude, I'm
1: honored um, to be here. It's I, You know, fun. it's like any time I get the opportunity to just sit and share my stories is an opportunity that's super important to me because you never know who's listening to what podcast or what radio show or watching what tv show because at the end of the day if something you say resonates in a positive way with one person like your job is done you've made a positive impact now go and just do it again so it's it's not one of those things where i'm like i want to do this media that's got the most people listening because it doesn't matter if a million people are listening and no one cares what you're saying if one person's listening and they're deeply resonating with like anything that you or i have said of i've been through surgeries and injuries and i've been struggling to know you know will things get better or i've been struggling with identity because i'm so focused on my work or my job or my sport like if they resonate in a positive way with that then it's a thousand times worth it because doing this stuff's not about me or you promoting ourselves in any way it's us sharing these opportunities and these stories that god has given us to positively impact Anyone that might be listening, that's good,
0: man. And that's my heart with so much of this is. I think um, I was having Tim Hall. I mean, you remember Tim Hall yeah. Ramsey? Um, he's he's doing his own thing in Ohio now. Yeah. So he's
1: oh, he left Tennessee. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah,
0: he's out running his own podcast. Yeah, I saw time. he's running it because so, yeah. I, I
1: connected with him on LinkedIn, but I didn't know he's in Ohio. Yeah, he's in Ohio. Man, Ohio. Midwest boys, let's go. <laughs> there it is. But I remember. There's something that he
0: said with podcasting that really struck me. He was just saying like, you know, and we'll talk about it in in a second with social media. I think social media has such a way to touch people that, you know, who would have thought social media would be a thing we talk about, you know, when we were kids 20 years ago. But I think what I love about podcasting is there's just another depth and layer that you can bring to someone's story. Like you can't quite do in social media. Right. But with podcasting, it just really slows down, and you can hear another side of you that Mm -hmm. I think people don't always see with social media because it's very quick and yeah,
1: yeah. And the attention spans are just getting shorter because of social media, and all the content is getting so quick to digest. And yeah, it's this weird thing. Like I went to film school, and so my initial goal in life after diving was to go make movies, and I got my film degree, and I what kind of movies? I just wanted to do feature films at the time. And I was like, I just want to be in that world, be out in Hollywood, LA, like making movies and had, you know, opportunities to start that path. But ultimately I just knew that that's not what I'm supposed to be using my creative side for, you know, there's still a deep piece of me that wants to make documentaries. Like I love documentaries, you know, after film school, film school kind of ruined my ability to love movies Cause I'm just analyzing everything. I'm picking everything apart and you can ask my wife, like we, what what
0: was the latest movie you saw? You're like, you just
1: ripped it Uh, on any movie. Like, (laughs) dude, I, I don't watch movies very much now because I watched so many in film school and I, every time I watch a movie, I can't just sit and enjoy a story. I just overanalyze it to a T. I'm actually going to see psycho tomorrow, which is a movie I had to watch like five or six times in film school but it's the first time my wife's going to be seeing it. It's like Alfred Hitchcock's big masterpiece from the 1960s. It's an amazing film, (laughs) but I'm already thinking of like, okay, when we go to the theater tomorrow, I cannot lean over and say they did this in this shot because of this, or look at that lighting or, Oh, did you know this? Like, I just need to sit and enjoy the film because you'd go to film school, you'd watch a movie and you'd write a massive paper on everything from color theory to the way lines are said to the way shots are made. And, so, like, I, I wanted to go that direction until I got so deep into it that I just started to not enjoy it anymore. But documentaries strip that away from me. Whenever I'm watching a documentary, I'm not thinking about this shot could have been more beautiful, or they could have color graded this better, or they could have told the story in this way. I'm just like, I want this information. I want to hear this person's story, and I want to learn from it. And so I love documentaries. Um, so, you know, maybe in the future, if I can find a way to have my hand in documentary work, but I don't know. I'm kind of doing that on social media right now and loving the shorter form version of it. Cause it's, you know, not taking a year and a half to get one piece of media out. You can do it in a couple minutes, which is nice.
0: I mean, in so many ways, your Instagram, which hundred thousand followers on Instagram, that's a hundred thousand plus. What are you on TikTok now?
1: Uh, over 300. I don't know. Like Those numbers, they fluctuate so much, but it's like, it seems exciting until you realize like there's so many accounts I follow that I don't remember I follow. So I'm not looking at this, like I have a hundred thousand fans. I'm like, okay, people saw a video and they clicked follow and they moved on with their life. Like if I have a hundred thousand followers or a hundred followers, like I'm still the same. And so yeah, it's it's fun though because it is part of my job to do brand collaborations and make content for companies. And so I do spend a lot of time on social media every day and I love doing it, but you can't get so focused on analytics because that'll just eat away at you.
0: Right. What's, what's your biggest lesson that you've learned with social media? Because I feel like most people... Most athletes like yourself going in, you know, you're in the world stage. Yeah. Somebody like, oh, I just post, but you're like almost like a wine connoisseur. Like, yeah, you know, you know it's, it's up with social media. The,
1: the most important thing I've learned is that you have to be okay. If your content you've spent hours and hours and hours making does not perform well, mm. but content you slap together in 10 seconds performs best. My best highest performing piece of content Was a video I took at practice and I threw a trending sound over and it's got, you know, like 15 million views Quarter million likes on it and there are videos I've spent weeks making for YouTube that have 300 views and it's it's one of those things where it's like You can't get upset. You've got to make what you're making for the love of it And yeah, I know what content works well Like the diving videos work really well with trending sounds because it's quick digestible but it's not creative in any way for me. So I've got to be okay letting this baby that I'm creating of this beautiful piece of content live and serve a purpose of just, you know, maybe a few people are going to see it that are going to really love it and it's going to speak to them. But it it is definitely frustrating when you work really hard on something and it just – Flops, but that's the nature of the beast. <laughs>
0: Love it, man. So,
1: what what's your advice to anyone listening
0: who is like, you know, I need to start making that content? I, this selfishly, I'm saying this for me too, because I'm like, this is my public declaration. Yeah,
1: I got to be better at this too. Consistency, from what I've seen over the years, I've been really studying social media and working in it. Is consistency trumps quality, which you need to be trying to make the highest quality content you possibly can all the time. But at the end of the day, if you're spending two weeks making one piece of content, or you could, those two weeks, make 14 pieces of less quality content, but they're easy to digest, easy to understand and on trend, that's going to serve you a lot better and serve your audience a lot better. So if you've got this big, grandiose story you want to tell, break it up into bite-sized pieces. That keeps people coming back for more. People do that really well on TikTok of like follow to stay in the loop, whatever it is, stuff like that. Focus on just posting consistently and finding new ways to be creative every time you post, but don't let the fear of this isn't creative enough or this isn't good enough keep you from posting something. If I would have done that with that diving video that had no creativity and I didn't think was necessarily a great dive. It was a dive where I broke position. I landed on my side. It wasn't awesome. But it was a piece of content that resonated with people. They're like, oh man, even Olympians make mistakes. It's like, I could have easily sat on that video and never posted it. And, you know, we would have never known what happened to it. So at the end of the day, just get the content out there. Um, but also, take a step back and think before you post. That is the biggest, most important piece of advice that can save you from so many issues on social media is we all want to post something in the heat of the moment or when we're really fired up about something, give it two minutes, calm down, reread what you're writing or what you're posting because you might want to make an adjustment that is much needed. Something I really try to focus on with my own social media is if I'm really fired up over something, I can type it out in a notes app and then I will stop. I will leave it for a little bit and go back to it and, 10 times out of 10 I look at it and I'm like yeah that's that's not serving anyone that's not serving me I shouldn't be posting that what's the point in that just to get something out that is of zero quality nah like just let me reword it or find something else to post about but yeah just take a second before you post so many people they just post so fast all the time without thinking and then there's just ramifications to that you know you can't undo what you've sent. Like you can undo it, but people screenshot stuff so fast. The way back machine captures everything. So it's like, just take a breather, take a sec, go outside for a second and then come back and reevaluate.
0: It's hmm, good. I won't be surprised if you open up your own media company
1: one day or even run your own documentary. I would love to see it. I want to make a documentary that that's definitely like a bucket list item. And I made like a short one Uh, In film school on my dad's baseball team in college, which I still love that documentary. Like I went with my dad to Texas, went around like to the old baseball field they played on. And it it was just, it's really cool. It's, it's not like a great documentary. Like if I were to do it now, do it way different, but it's super sentimental to me because it is my dad and it's his baseball team. And just seeing him all nostalgic and sentimental about his college days yeah. is just something cool to go back and look on because now I started college almost 10 years ago. So my college days are getting further and further away and I'm starting to feel that way. And so being able to go back and see my dad like that when he was in his fifties, I'm like, man, what am I going to be like in my fifties? So <laughs> that's what I love about documentaries. It's just real media that just stands the test of time. And is, even if it's like a biased piece of media, because technically all media is bias, it's still just a nostalgic piece that you can create and go back and have fond memories of
0: mm. i love that man. um yeah. i a guy I had on my podcast his name's uh paul Petura mm-hmm. and he's a uh, vice president of communications at uh focus on the family he's a this guy I grew up with um uh, just in colorado he's in colorado springs oh, i and love so- colorado <laughs> it's
1: cold <laughs> in the winter but it's beautiful It is, there,
0: man it's oh. the best I mean, you're there all the time being in yeah, City. Yeah, so. I love any
1: chance I can get to get out to Colorado Springs or Denver, Boulder. Man, we're going to have is, to do but... the incline
0: one well of these days. We'll I, yeah, to... I did
1: it back in uh, 2018. 47 minutes. Dude, I was slow, dude. I was hurting. I want to do it again. But the hike down off that back trail was so awesome, dude. You know it. Get me to the mountains right now. I'm ready. But one of the things um,
0: he, he's wrote, wrote in a – I should – wrote, my goodness, writ, <laughs> wrote in a few – written, written, there we go. Yeah. Thank you. It's not the cider, I promise. But one the, he wrote a story on Paul Harvey. He did a whole um, biography on him. Yeah. And it was so fascinating because one of the things that he talked about – I'm not sure if you know who Paul Harvey is. He was like um, the Dave Ramsey back in like the 50s and okay.
1: the 60s. Big finance – yeah, oh just radio
0: guy. Just oh, radio okay, guy. Radio, just sure. just radio guy. Just did a regular news. Yeah. And even back then he just he dedicated a whole show just to positive content. It was like, That's you know cool. like there's just there's just certain things that our minds just need to chew on that we don't need to think about certain other things. But yeah. I think the route, what I've seen with you in a roundabout way is like you're about positivity and good vibes.
1: Yeah. I'm not like that all the time. Like behind scenes, I definitely have my moments where I'm like fighting to be positive, but that's the thing with social media is I don't want to necessarily just dump my baggage on my followers. If I'm going through a hard time and I want to post it about post about it on social media, I need to come at it from a perspective and really truly understand how I can make this positive, how I can see, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, how I can, see the glass half full. I feel like I'm naturally an optimistic person, but especially with all these surgeries and this fifth surgery, especially I was super pessimistic and was really just fighting to find any shred of positivity in my day. Um, But with social media, I don't want to just get on every day be like, I'm in so much pain, I'm hurting, I feel terrible from these pain meds, I can't get out of bed, life sucks, okay, see you guys tomorrow. It's like, that's not serving anyone. Sure, I can get pity comments, but you do that every day. People are going to not want to see that because that's going to bog them down too. So if I'm getting on social media, I need to come from a place of recognizing that things might not be perfect, but I'm aware of that and I'm doing what I can to have a great day I'm doing what I can to get stronger I'm doing what I can to find a piece of joy in the day amidst the darkness and so many people get on social media and just dump all of their negativity and sadness and you know I think if that's an outlet for people you know if you need to be real on social media that's okay but first be real with people around you find your community because then they're going to be able to work you through what you need to work through better than social media followers. Mm -hmm. Cause a lot of social media is just an echo chamber and you can get stuck in these negative pathways forever. And it's like a maze. But if you take the time to try to figure out the good things that are going on, even in the midst of chaos and hardship, that just makes it so much easier to share. Like, I don't want to get on social media and just tell people this day was hard. I'm sick of it. See you guys tomorrow. It's like, no, I want to go in and be like, okay, my foot feels like crap today. But what am I thankful for? I'm thankful that I got to the gym. I'm thankful that I've got a wife and two dogs that have just been here for me. I'm thankful that I have work to do. I'm thankful that, you know, the list goes on and on. It's just kind of those cliche things of like, list out what you're thankful for. And those are things my wife had to straight up just tell me. On days, especially during this recovery, where I was just so hard to be around because I was so negative, so down, and so much pain. And she's like, you just need to write down what you're thankful for, Write down what you're praying for. And it just kind of, in those moments, snaps me back into that reality of like, man, I have just been sitting in my sadness or my frustration or my pain. When I can acknowledge those things... And recognize they're there and that this is a real situation that I'm in. But I can also focus on the things that are good in this day too. And it's easier said than done. It's so much easier said than done. But when you do it, you feel better. And that just makes it easier to get on social media and share what I'm thankful for. Or showcase my workouts that I'm doing. Because I got myself to the gym. I got myself out of bed. Uh, But it it is definitely easier said than done. But I... Work every day to just find the good things in the day because, again, life is too short to just look at all the bad things that are happening. And, you know, it is something I have to constantly tell myself every day, every morning, or when something bad happens, or, you know, I don't get this opportunity I was looking for, or whatever it might be, that I've got to go back and be like, okay, well, what is good? Like, I live in a great place, I've got great family, I've got a great wife two amazing dogs, great friends. I've got these cool opportunities. I'm healthy. I can do all these things. And so, yeah, it is a constant reminder, especially as someone who's just been through so much like medical trauma.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And out of anyone like you, you've been through a lot. So, man, that's a good word. I was going to ask how you balance that, but I think you summarized that very well.
1: And I'm like, I'm a big journaler too. And so that's one of the things is like, I can typically feel a lot of my negativity coming at me towards the end of the day where I'm exhausted. My foot's more tired, so naturally I'm feeling a little more bogged down. That's the time where I really like to have my time with the Lord reading scripture and journaling because I don't want to just go to bed feeling my worst. I want to do what I can to get back to that place of thankfulness before I go to sleep. But a lot of people like to start their day that way, but I feel good in the mornings, like I feel like I'm ready to attack the day. So I, I don't know, I'm just like a nighttime nighttime reader and writer, but yeah, I think that's a big thing and something my wife has constantly reminded me to do is just like write down your prayers, write down what you're feeling because you can always go back on that and see what the Lord's done in your life.
0: It's good, man.
1: Yeah, we've been doing this for an over an hour. Really? It's flown by, man. Yeah. Shoot, that goes quick.
0: (laughs) I went out of your time too, man. But dude, well
1: thank you for having me. This has been awesome. And yeah, I just I hope whoever listening to this just remembers that, you know, whatever they're going through, it's important to recognize that it might be a hard thing. But that there's so much good that you can find in every day amidst the chaos and whether that's an injury, whether that's you lost your job and you're trying to find a new job, whatever it it is, like you're not alone in it. And that's something that's gotten me through a lot of what I've been through is just recognizing other people are going through it or have been through it, made it out on the other side and are thriving, doing great. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes a lot of patience. But just keep going. Keep moving. Keep moving things will turn around just keep going
0: hey amen that's a good word man well i want to ask you one more question then mm-hmm. i'll let you i'll let you hit the road jack um <laughs> it is salute I, I gotta get a camera for yeah yeah the, episode two with me <laughs> episode two with steel and what is what is one question that you wish people would ask you that most don't
1: one question that i wish people would ask me I don't know. I feel like I have been asked so many questions in my life, but I think the big one and you touched on it is just like, you know, what are you passionate about outside of your sport? Like the, what's, what's the, the other hobbies or other things you're passionate about that don't relate to diving. Cause that's a lot of the things I've noticed with a lot of athletes too, is we're yes, an athlete and we've dedicated, tens and twenties of thousands of hours to our sport, but we all do other stuff. Most Olympic athletes work full-time jobs in stuff they're passionate about. And so you asked it just with like the metal stuff. Like I love metal music. I've been learning guitar, play bass, all that stuff. And I don't play for people. I'm not in a band. I don't play on stage. Like I just play at home for me because it's relaxing for me and it's a new skill to be learning. But yeah, a lot of interviews, They just focus so heavily on diving in the Olympics and I get it. That's what people want to hear. But I feel like a lot of the relatability piece that I get when listening to other podcasts of people I follow or people I enjoy listening to is when they get asked about what they're passionate about outside what they do. Cause that's, what's really exciting is you get to see all the facets of other people of man, we put people in a box or in a lane of like, you're, you're a diver. So do your diving, you're a football player. So be a football player. It's like, well, yeah, I might do this, but I really love baking or I love cooking or I love films and I love music and not just like, I enjoy listening to music, but I create, I do these things. Um, So that was a long winded answer of just like, man, there's so many, like you said, layers to people. Just getting to those other layers that go beyond your sport is really, really cool to, to learn about. And so that's what I love to hear. And so those are the questions I love to answer because they always kind of catch me off guard because I'm never really expecting them.
0: Yeah. Well, Steele Johnson, it's been a pleasure. Thank
1: you very much. Yeah, this to has Paris, been fun. We're, we're to Paris, baby. To Paris and L.A. and we'll see where my <laughs> life goes. But one day at a time, one step at a time, and I'm thankful that I'm standing.
0: Hey, well, m- once it's all done, I mean, you and I have had plenty of cigars. Yeah, I'm gonna have a cigar ready for you. There we go. Once you get back, we're yes. gonna celebrate the after the way.
1: competition's over, and we'll get a day to relax. Another blacks hard cider triple jam. Another triple jam, yeah. triple berry. This was good. <laughs> yeah, this was great. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Cheers. Man. Cheers.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast with so Steel. Such a good man, and it's such a good friend in the season. We're cheering you on, Steele, as you're going to Paris next year. And be sure to follow Steele on all channels on TikTok and on Instagram. He's got 100 plus thousand followers on Instagram, 300 plus thousand on TikTok. Be sure to follow him in his journey as he's on the road to recovery, but going for gold next year. So be sure to support Steele on his journey next year. And thank you for your support. We cannot be doing this podcast without you. Be sure to continue to rate, subscribe, and share the show. That helps a ton. We could not do this podcast without you. And until next time, we will see you on the
1: 4Cs podcast.